You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in to me today. Why does it seem to be so difficult to lose weight when we get older? Why does it seem to be more challenging to manage our body composition as we move up in our age bracket? That's what we're going to be talking about on this episode of the Model Health Show, because some of the results that we experience later in life are due to the foundation that we're laying down right now. And if we are in our senior years, what are some of the solutions? What are some of the most overlooked things that can help to literally tilt the scales in the right direction that we might be overlooking? Because yes, we have a obsession now with diet and exercise. We have an obsession with things to try to manipulate small pieces. But is there something bigger at play that's causing a struggle for us to lose weight? But is there something bigger at play that's causing a struggle when we're trying to manage our body composition? We're going to be diving into this topic today with our very, very special guest and even dipping our toes into the water just a little bit, talking about the new innovations in prescription drugs targeting obesity. So Ozempic, Ogovi, and the like. So we're going to talk a little bit about those as well. And again, so much more. Now, our special guest is renowned for fitness. She actually has the Guinness world record in the most fitness DVDs sold out there on the streets, all right? She is the most popular person on planet Earth when it comes to fitness DVDs and instruction. And you're gonna get to hear this revelation in her mindset and going through all the things that she has. But being that she's about that exercise life, I wanna share something with you that has been fueling my workouts recently. Numerous studies, including a study published by the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, aka the FASF journal, have found that exogenous ketones can be up to 28% more efficient in generating energy than glucose alone. And because of this, something that, listen, there are so many different supplements that are out there on the market. Very few things do you experience a change the first day. Now, this isn't true for everybody, but for me, this was the case. I was shocked. I actually took time stepping away from everything else that I was doing as far as supplementation around training, gave myself a break, and then did this with a lot of focus and intention to see, hey, what are the kind of results that I could see by utilizing ketone IQ? And I was really just blown away. My stamina was significantly increased, but more so my recovery afterwards. It was really impressive. I just felt like I could do so much more than I normally do. And I'm somebody who really prides myself on being a high performer and being able to really challenge my limits and do exceptional things. And so to do what I was typically doing and then have energy left in the tank, I was just like, wow, this is something special. I need to tell more people about this. So right now you can head over to hvmn.com forward slash model, and they're going to give you 30% off of your first subscription order. It'll be taken off automatically at checkout. And I'm telling you, this is the real deal. Go to hvmn.com forward slash model. Check out Ketone IQ today. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled The Best by Sarah Albamahen. 
Really love this show for many reasons. Biggest being that you focus on not only very basic changes we can make to be healthier, but also considers mental health, hormone health, etc. I start my mornings with this and I always learn something new. Love the way you break things down and there's always thought put into each episode with guests and data to back everything being said. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for starting your mornings with me. That is truly, truly an honor. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is New York Times bestselling author, and I already mentioned Guinness world record holder when it comes to fitness training, fitness DVDs. She is a true legend in the world of fitness, but also what some folks don't realize, she's also a pioneer in the space of family wellness and somebody who's really, for me personally, even helped to model relationships in the context of like growing a big platform, you know, being able to create something special, writing books and education, but also making time for what she values most, which is her family. Sometimes we don't think that we can do both. We have to sacrifice. But she really showed me early on that, yes, I can get out here and share my passion and my mission, but also I have time to create an incredibly healthy connection with my loved ones. And without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with the one and only Shalene Johnson. Shalene, listen, I don't say this lightly. You have taught me so much. And I just shared a little bit with you, but yeah. so many of the insights from your experience are a part of our lives. My wife, myself, she always lights up, of course, when she hears from you. You're just such uh-huh. a, a big part of our inspiration. Aww. And, you know, whether it's family, whether it's fitness, I just appreciate you so much. Thank you. Your relationship with Brett. I love Brett. Yeah. We're, we're two peas in a pod when we get together. We click. Yeah. Yeah. Click. I mean, I really clicked with, with your wife when I met her too. And now we're, I'm just we're, we're tighter you. than you and I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That tends to happen though. You know, she does like finesse the friends, but yeah. I just want to thank you so much for being who you are. Wow. Like, thanks. Real. I appreciate that. Now, what I want to dive into today is something that is affecting so many people. It's mm. one of those things that we're all trying to figure out, but it tends to get harder as we get older. Mm. So my question is, why? Why does it seem to get harder to lose weight as we age? Mm. Uh, so many reasons. So I can only really speak to my personal experience and like the things I hear from my audience because they're they're kind of like my age, a little bit younger. Although I I identify as a thirty five year old, but you know I'm fifty four and things change. Your metabolism changes. What you believe you're supposed to be doing. Uh, changes and and then you just keep doubling down I think sometimes I'm like hey this used to work so why wouldn't it work now the one thing I say to all my friends and to anyone who's you know kind of in that perimenopausal phase is like what you were doing before will not work it just won't and so it's not surprising that people you see so many especially women I mean guys too right just doubling down and keep they keep trying to do what worked before and doing it like harder and then just getting super frustrated uh, because they just start gaining weight. People just don't want to hear that though. Yeah. You know, because we get comfortable doing the things that we've done that have brought us some kind of success. And so we get attached to those things. Yeah. So hearing that you're gonna have to do something different is like. I hope that it, it's something that's exciting for people because I it's hard to do what we used to do. It's hard, speaking from personal experience, like the things I used to do just to maintain my weight or to try to lose a few pounds 
they were so freaking hard. I remember in those times thinking to myself, there's no way I'll be able to do this like 10 years from now or five years from now or even a year from now because it's it's so unattainable. It's not something that I could continue to do. Um, so I, I think for me personally and for a lot of other people that I've talked to, it's it's almost like doing less. It's almost like returning to the basics, you know? Okay, so now already this is it's sounding very counterintuitive to yeah. do less. Yeah. So in particular, let's talk about folks that are around that perimenopause yeah. phase. Let's. Let's talk about that in the context of exercise because you just said doing less. Mm -hmm. does, this, does this apply here? It does. Um, well, first of all, I just need every single woman who's 35 years old for her ears to perk up because if you want to transition smoothly into menopause, you have to start early. You can't let go, you know, I think I'm entering menopause and and oh no, I'm putting on all this weight and oh no, now I should change things. Like no, you need you need to start making changes early. In fact, recent studies show that it's it is the timing of when if you're going to consider if you're a candidate for hormone replacement therapy, it's the earlier you start, the more effective it is, the the smoother the transition into that stage. Um, but back to your question about exercise. You know, I know that for me, all the exercise that I was doing, I, I just kept thinking, I'm burning all these calories, I'm burning all these calories. I was never thinking about like how stressful it was to be worried about that, what my cortisol was doing, um, the you know oxidative stress, the stress of my body, the stress of my mind, of thinking I had to do what it was I was doing, like the abuse that I was, like the verbal abuse in my head on my body, and then the physical abuse, literally, that I was putting myself through, I just didn't realize like, that's so much stress. And stress equals weight gain, you know? In fact, when I had my blood sugars, or sorry, my uh, hormones tested at age 45, at the peak of my fitness, you know, I was exercising like three hours a day plus, um, eating like, I wanna say super clean, but it was really super processed protein, you know, and like everything came in a package. Uh, my cortisol was like three times what it should have been. Even though I was like doing all, I, all the things right, I thought. And I don't know if this is true. I, this is just a theory that women in particular don't, un, they don't understand how much stress they're under from their own ideas of what their body's supposed to look like and what they're supposed to be doing. Like your weight and what you, the things you're supposed, the way you think you're supposed to look, that is so stressful. Mm. So for me, it was, uh, I was like, okay, I'm done. You know, like I just made a decision, like I'm going to get my health back in check. And I stopped over exercising. I stopped doing all of those things. And I did a lot of things right, for sure, that has made, you know, transitioning into menopause really, and, I, and people get mad at me when I say this, but it's like, it's my truth. It made it really, e not easy, but like much easier than what I was afraid it was going to be because we really villainize menopause. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And of course, just looking at some of the data, folks in other countries who aren't kind of inundated with all this stress, mm. that part, and also of course the ultra processed food and all the things, very low incidence of what we consider to be like strong menopausal symptoms. Yeah. As people, like in Japan or, you know, different cultures basically here we see you know 75 percent higher rates mm -hmm. of having the onset of like really strong symptoms yeah and so the question is is this just automatic or is it more cultural 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So obviously your genetics plays a big role in that, but I think just like epigenetics, the things that we do make it either easier or worse. And, and so for me at that age, I started considering doing hormone replacement therapy. Um, I started looking at my hormone levels. I reduced my exercise right away. I changed my sleep right away. I changed my the way I was eating right away. But it was a transition because I think I swapped one addiction for another, you know? And I got into that whole like biohacker like thing where you're like, okay, now, now I'm so obsessed with being healthy on the inside. Look at me, I'm, I'm better. I'm not over-exercising. I'm not worried about having abs. But I, I became so hyper-focused on like, how many minutes should I be in hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments? Do I need to lay on a magnetic mat? Like what type, you know, all of these crazy things. And I was consuming so much information, just like freaked out, like, do I know enough? that that became a stress, you know? That's irony at its greatest right there. Right? So there's, you know, there's this, you mentioned this orthorexia. Yeah. Right, this obsession with health and being mm -hmm. healthy. And there's so, the thing is, of course, there's so much that can make us unhealthy today, but there's right. so much access to things that can improve your health, potentially. And so we become obsessed with those things. And like you just said, we don't think that that can stress us out. Right. So where do we find some balance? Not to mention the fact like you are not fun to hang out with if you are that person. Like, yeah. and I was that person who was like, oh, do you know about the toxins that are in, like I was that person. Yeah. And I just remember always feeling like, and actually sitting in judgment of other people, like they don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. they don't know. Yeah. And yeah. it became like a full-time job, a full-time obsession. Um, I just, I think you have to look within and go like, okay, so if I was in a state of being addicted to exercise, um, and if you don't address like what causes you to, to want to do that, then you're just going to transfer it to something new, mm, you know? And yeah. at a certain point, I just realized like, I'm making myself crazy. I want to just live. And, you know, we, a big piece of this for me was about three years ago, it was a little, a little over three years ago, the first time we traveled internationally. And we're in Europe, and I'm looking at these women who just, there's no gyms where we were traveling. No one goes to the gym for hours, what? The, there was none of the biohacking things that we're obsessed with here. It's just not available. But yet everyone seems so carefree and ate whatever they wanted and were eating bread and drinking wine and relaxing and taking a nap in the middle of the day. And I'm like, I wanna live like that. I actually wanna live. Mm. I don't wanna have to obsess about all these stupid things. So what if I just give myself permission to like do what feels right? Do what the things I'm like, okay, I could, I could do that and that sounds good. And I noticed, that, and I stopped weighing myself. I stopped worrying about all of those things and just kind of put in balance, right? So to answer your question, I think the balance is putting yourself in check and knowing that you've crossed the line, knowing that it's become an obsession, knowing that it's interfering with your ability to live. Mm. And once I did that, like things just like my hormones started balancing out on their own. Yeah, You know, I was able to titrate down on some of the dosages of things I was taking in the past. Uh, my weight normalized. It's just crazy to think like how how much time I, I don't wanna say wasted, 
but how much time I spent away from family and friends and living when I was over-exercising. And to think that I, I personally think, and maybe I'm crazy, but I think I have a better body now. I have a much better relationship with my body, a much better relationship with food. It's like I don't get stressed about like, uh-oh, can anyone tell me what's in this? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna live, it's fine. Yeah, oh my goodness. I laughed a little too hard when the, they just don't know, because that was like a running thing in our in our house, you know, um, especially when it came to like meditation early on, you know, yeah. like over 10 years ago and just being like, because of course we, we can get in these little bubbles mm -hmm. and we don't really realize that life is just simply not like this. Yeah. And by you basically implanting yourself in a different culture and getting outside that bubble, having these revelations, like you could just live. And it's such a revelation for us here because even when you talk about the biohacking thing, I think it's like a pendulum swing because yeah. things get so messed up over here. Yeah, we yeah. swing way over here and That's now we're right. trying to hack everything right. as like an antidote to not just being human. Right, right. And no offense, some of these biohackers uh, don't look that healthy to me. Facts. I mean, it's just like, and how are you living your life? Like if you're every part of your day has to be optimized and maximized and and it feels like a competition and it just feels like something I'm never going to know enough. So I'm like, I'm out. But yet I still am taking the pieces that make sense to me, the yeah. pieces that are doable, the pieces it's like, yeah, that's just common sense, yeah. um, treating my body well. And I think the biggest piece of that, Sean, is stress. Yes. Okay, this is where we need to direct this because you get to say this from a completely different perspective. Mm. I've say, said this from working as a clinician for many years and seeing this, people eating what they deem to be like the perfect diet, yeah. they're working out, and yet their numbers are not really changing to the mm. place they wanna go. You know, their blood sugar's not, not normalized, hypertension, whatever the case might be. And when you actually ask people like about how they feel, how's their relationships at home, how's mm -hmm. their relationship with work, how's their sense of purpose, like all these different things, and then you find out truly that stress, you can overeat your way into being overweight, under-exercise your way, under-sleep, but you can definitely overstress your way into being overweight. Yeah. And this is the biggest thing. If you struggled, everybody listening, if you struggled to lose weight and to keep it off, really, can we talk about the Im impact of stress? Well, I mean, first of all, just looking at my cortisol levels, it's no wonder when, again, I was at the peak of uh, my fitness career where I'm exercising for hours, why my metabolism was betraying me, you know? Because my cortisol levels were so high. And I think it's really important, like just to be completely transparent and say sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. So for sure, when I went through this period of like going, okay, uh-oh, now I'm not gonna be exercising for three hours a day. Now I have to eat re real food, right? Um, I gained weight, you know? And I battled with like, okay, do I go back to my old ways? But you have to trust the process and it is a process. You have to trust that your body knows where you're supposed to be, but you have to honor what it takes to take care of it. And that's, the sleep, that's the stress. And you know, I hate it when I hear um, people say like, you gotta reduce your stress. Well, what does that mean? Like it's, life is stressful. Yeah. But I think it's, um, for me anyways, it was like pinpointing, what is it specifically when I think about like, 
having a bad day or being in a bad mood or something in the back of my mind, like what is that thing? Because you know, you can't like send your family away. You can improve your relationships and hopefully most people will do that and that improves your stress levels. But also like think about like what what is it you're you're stressing about and really looking at that. Mm-hmm. And for me, a big piece of that in both instances was, you know, uh, the way I was talking to myself, mm-hmm. you know? And I think especially this is true for women. I mean, when when I was growing up, the absolute worst thing you could be called, like when you're in high school, is conceited, you know? But if you look at that word, it means you have, you hold yourself in high regard. That's a good thing. But we, especially in our society, have been told like, you know, you got to, if you do that, then you're conceited. Like you've got to be humble. So therefore you should be self-deprecating. Therefore you should think that you're not all that. But if you start thinking you're not all of that, you're not going to be all that. You know, your body believes you. If you're telling yourself, I'm fat, I'm never going to lose this weight. Um, this is my genetics. Uh, everything I, no matter what I do, it never works. That will become true for you. You know? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Our, our thoughts are creation. Yeah. You know, and so... Like you just said, I'm thinking about even this new thing, like a humble brag. Yeah. You know, like I'm still humble. Oh, shoot. But I can't say something good about myself. Yeah. And we're, you just said it, like we're culturally just like pounded away on to not see ourselves in a high regard. Right. And so when you poke out of that and we see people do that, we're like, how do they achieve such success? Like you've got to have faith in yourself and mm. believe in yourself and all those things, but also to value yourself, self-value, not just to achieve things, but to sustain it and to not have it break you down. That's right. Why can't we, and this is another thing I want to talk to you about as well, is like creating that in our culture and our families, because I see that with your kids as well and being able to really have that sense of self-value to do yeah. the things that they're doing. Yeah. Well, you absolutely can be very uh, humble. You can be a humble individual and also hold yourself in high regard. You can do those two things at the same time. And I think that's the ultimately the place where you want to end up. Someone who's humble is someone who knows they have room for growth. There's someone who sees, they know their strengths and their weaknesses and they, they can admit fault, but they're not first to blame themselves. You know, some, there's a difference between being humble and being self-deprecating. And I think that we've just been brainwashed into believing that you can't be one or the other, but you can be both. And in fact, you have to hold yourself in high regard in order to have humility. And that's how you take care of your soul. That's how you take care of your body. It doesn't start in the gym. It starts in our mind. It starts in our beliefs with ourselves. To think of, I mean, I think of the conversations I was having with myself when I was filming these fitness videos. And I just remember thinking just the, the most disgusting, vile thoughts about myself and also assuming other people thought those things too. And it was me having to examine that and realizing this isn't healthy. Yeah. A and B, it's not helping me. And when I shifted that, when I started really like loving my body and also being okay with saying that out loud, almost like saying it out loud before I believed it myself. Yeah. Um, it helped. Like I, I had to say those things, even though I was like, okay, but do I really believe this? Yeah. In order for my body to, to, to follow, right? It's almost like the opposite of, you know, sometimes people have body dysmorphia. It's like the opposite of body dysmorphia. Like you have to tell yourself you're beautiful and I have this amazing body and um, girl, you better go eat something. You're looking underweight. You know what I mean? Like you almost have to have this opposite 
approach for a little while before you begin to believe it. Because mm. we've done some bad, some serious brainwashing yeah. on ourselves. And um, it's not healthy, it's not good. And it's it so doesn't crazy. serve any purpose. Yeah, like why do we do this to ourselves? And also when we attempt oftentimes to do it, like you said, it's very difficult. It's very awkward to like mm. give a positive compliment to yourself. Shouldn't be, Because so much is directed towards you know our, our culture to you not really placing that value within yourself. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, some of the things that Anne would say, you know, my wife would say uh, about herself. And I'm just like, if you think that about yourself, like no right? one else has a chance. Right? Because I'm just like, you're so amazing. You're everything. But we are constantly judging ourselves harshly. And, I, you know, of course, I spent some time thinking about this. Part of it is because we know ourselves, you know, we do yeah. know our, our respective flaws and we're constantly judging ourselves and seeing, sometimes seeing our worst, yeah. you know? And we can flip this switch in our minds, but like you said, it can take a little bit of time to start to speak to ourselves differently, mm -hmm. but the outcomes will change as well. It's very difficult to like hate yourself into the results you want, right? Speak on it, a absolutely. And especially for women who are entering that state of perimenopause and menopause, because society has told you, oh, oh you're no longer, able to have babies, uh, you're no longer getting your cycle. Well, you know, we have no use for you. You're old, you're getting older. You know, I was watching a TikTok the other day, this girl was doing a, like a get ready with me and she said her age and all the comments beneath the video were like, oh my gosh, you look so young. She was 29. I'm like, dude, what? she is young. <laughs> like what app am I on right now? Um, so you're battling that too, but don't play into it. Like I was speaking to a woman the other day and she's like, I just am, I don't know if I should put myself out there. I don't feel comfortable going on Instagram. I don't feel comfortable stepping into like my second stage of my life and building my own personal brand because, well, because I'm old. And I said, how old are you? And she was like, well, I, I just turned 50. I'm like, N you're a queenager, first of all. <laughs> and there's nothing cooler than like having the ability to say like, I've been on this planet longer than you. I know more than you. Yeah. I just shut the argument down. Yeah. Like, it's such a beautiful thing if we embrace it. And and you, everyone can do that differently. I think women um, oftentimes feel like if they're doing something with their looks, well then does that mean that you are fighting the aging process? It's like, no, I've been getting Botox since as the age that I could afford it. It has nothing to do with age. It's just money, like I could afford to do it. You can choose to age any way you want. You can choose to allow your hormones to run out, but we know statistically that there are far more all-cause mortalities associated with women who don't take active roles in at least trying to do something naturally to balance your hormones. We know that hormone replacement therapy means that you're going to have a better quality of life, a better quality of sex life, a better quality of energy, a uh, uh, being able to maintain your weight, all of these things. And certainly there are women who are not candidates and there are wonderful ways. I've seen some people on your show who are experts at helping us understand like, are there natural ways to balance these things? But like, if you tell yourself, I am old and I'm getting ugly and I'm I'm done, like you, it's self-fulfilling prophecy. You will begin to feel that and you'll begin to do things that are counterintuitive or that are counterproductive to you living a life that's full 
and vibrant and feeling alive and amazing. Yeah, that self-talk, that negative self-talk is not gonna fix it. No, it makes it a million times worse. And don't buy into it either, right? Like you gotta be careful who you surround yourself with and um, how they're speaking about the process of of that perimenopausal stage, that menopausal stage, who you're following. Like I stopped following people who they make me feel a certain way. Here's my tip. Follow, especially for the ladies out there, follow women who are older than you because you'll be like, that's how it's done. Mm. And you'll feel, you just feel like, okay, I've got something to look forward to. I just never ever in my life, in my younger years could have imagined how great I would feel at this stage. You know, and maybe it's part like brainwashing myself, but like, don't, don't burst my bubble. Like I, I'm so <laughs> happy right here, you know? It's don't kill my vibe. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, this is the thing is again, same thing. And this is why you're one of those people for us is just like, this is what's possible. Yeah. And it's been like that with business, with family, with, you know, so many aspects. And we need that today. Like we need that healthy modeling because there's so much dysfunction that's modeling, that's getting modeled as well. Right. And not to say, again, it's not that we all have this figured out, but there is often a better way, you know? And so pointing this conversation back, you just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of wonderful practitioners and there's so many. My point I wanted to make was we've got all these options, whether it's you know, uh, hormone replacement to these lifestyle factors, mm-hmm. everything should be an option, mm-hmm. but you cannot rise above your perception of yourself. Absolutely. Right, so that's that's where to really point our attention. And, but also, and you've already kind of directed us to this a little bit, it's gonna take some investigation for you. Thank you. You've gotta ask yourself, I wanna point back to what you said earlier, what is the thing that's stressing you? Because it's probably different from the next person. Mm -hmm. It's probably different from you six months ago or last year. What is causing the excessive stress in your life right now? And what are some potential solutions to help to balance that stress? And maybe it's not something you could just completely drop out of, but how can you approach it differently? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so simple strategies. Like for me, I literally went through like, what parts of my day are stressful? Like what habits do I have? They're like hard to maintain now. Um, a simple one was uh, I just got all caught up in that. Like if you don't wake up earlier before everybody else, you're not part of that like special type A hustler, super entrepreneur, miracle morning kind of person, right? I, I, I brainwashed myself into believing if I'm not waking up early, then I'm like a loser, you know? And now I'm like, and that would stress me out by like, what time am I going to bed? And how many hours of sleep did I get? And am I, you know, m- tracking my hours? And now I'm like, I, and that, granted, this is also because I'm older. I don't have to wake up with kids anymore. I can wake up when I damn well please. Come on. And that released so much stress. Also knowing like tracking, like tracking macros and tracking calories and tracking steps and all the tracking that I was doing. Yeah, I still do it a little bit of it just to make sure I'm on track. <laughs> But the obsessive part of it, that became stressful. Um, It was relationships, like people who, why do I care, why do I care more than they do? And it's stressing me out. I can't change them, I can't control them. Me trying to control somebody else was stressing me out. And just having to be like, love you. Like I, I can still love them, I don't need to change them. And it was, and I don't need them to think about me a certain way, because it's not gonna change who I am. 
So why am I like bending over backwards and stressing myself out trying to do all these things to make this one person happy? And I know these are like little simple strategies, but I'll tell you what doesn't reduce stress for me is, you know, like all the things people say to do like, oh, meditate for 30 minutes. Well, that doesn't, didn't remove any of those things. You know, yes, it's beneficial, but it's not removing any of those stressors. So it, were, it was those things. And it was also, uh, like I said, a lot of it was how I was talking to myself. Yeah. Like if you have a child in your house and you're constantly putting them down, that child is going to be so stressed and so, I mean, their nervous system is on end, is on edge because they're, they're in this fight or flight state. Like, am I okay? Am I enough? Am I going to get in trouble? That's what we're doing to ourselves when we're talking that way constantly. We're, we're putting ourselves in that same state and it's a habit that you have to break. Yeah. You said earlier, you mentioned trusting the process. And yeah. so going from somebody who's like literally exercising your ass off, you know, three hours a day and micromanaging your calories and all the things. And by you transitioning to something that is a little bit more nourishing, much more doable. Uh, a lot less intense, and then finding much better health and happiness, yeah. funny enough, which you, again, it's, you said it surprised you. Part of that you said, you know, potentially you could make that transition and somebody might gain a little bit yeah. of weight. Yeah. But this transition piece is like, can your body now find homeostasis, right? <laughs> yeah. Because what we're doing when we're backing away from really creating excessive stress through exercises, yeah. we're now we're sending safety signals to our bodies. Because it might gain weight as like a reaction to like, I haven't felt protected, I haven't felt mm. safe, I've felt abused all this time. Sure and creating like a, a buffer. But as you create more safety and feed more safety signals, then good more good stuff starts to happen. But you gotta start the process of healing. Yes, you talked about homeostasis. Uh, and that's something I think, we, we talk so much about menopause and not enough about perimenopause. Perimenopause for women can last anywhere from seven to 10 years. It's just that period before you lose your period. In order to officially enter the menopausal uh, cool girls club, like before you get your card, you have to go a full year without a, a cycle. And until then, it's like a roller coaster. There is no such thing as homeostasis in perimenopause. You're, I mean, I, there were months, I shouldn't say months, there were periods where I was testing every 90 days. And I remember one time when I tested my hormones, which the average person doesn't need to do that. I was just really trying to figure out what was going on. And there was one time that I um, tested and I, I remember my estrogen levels were great. You know, everything's awesome. The next time I took the test, everything had plummeted like overnight, it felt like. And it corresponded with the way that I felt. When you're in perimenopause, it is like a roller coaster and you feel like you're crazy. But this is the time when you, it's like your hormones are throwing you a go, like a, a going away party. <laughs> but they're not they haven't sent out invitations so it's very chaotic there's no way to plan for it and you just you just have to hold on and do your best um, but during that period of time you can experience really strange symptoms that just are like no one's talking about them we talk about hot flashes we talk about you know lack of libido vaginal dryness thinning hair um you know waking but we don't talk about the obscure like you just think you're going crazy just any obscure thing that you're experiencing, of course it's perimenopause. We are a hormone and your hormones right now are freaking out for about, you know, for some of us, it can be a couple of years and for other women, it's like seven to 10 years. So that's when you, that's when you have to double down on getting healthy. 
Like just get healthy and you will make it so much easier than trying. It's so much easier to do this while you're healthy versus trying to fix something that's been broken for a long time once we get there. Yeah, you, you shared that earlier, just like the time to start is before all this happens, if yeah. at all possible. And if that's not the case for you, now is the time. That's you right. Know? And you called me earlier, or you left a voice message for me earlier while yeah. you were walking, Yeah. right? You're out for a walk, yeah. which is very different from what you were doing previously. Heck, Talk heck, about that. Yeah. I just would beat myself, like I would, again, think, all right, so if some is good, then more is better. I was doing high impact, high intensity workouts, which are great, uh, but they're hard. And I was always experiencing some kind of injury. You have to really get yourself up to do that. You know, you can tell yourself, I love it, I'm addicted. Yeah, but you also have to get yourself up to do it. And I just, when I, when I read the research on zone two cardio, I'm like, that sounds so freaking good. That sounds like a treat. That sounds like a dessert. Are you kidding? Like I can get amazing results from doing zone two cardio, listening to a podcast, which just like soothes my brain. I mean, I'm down, let's go. You know, and people will often ask me, so the workouts that you design, does that mean that they're bad for you? I'm like, no, they're just not good for me. You know, and you got, you have to figure out what does your body need? My body needed to move. My body needed things that were no longer high impact. I needed things that helped me to reduce my stress. I was underestimating the amount of oxidative stress I was putting my body under. We weren't designed to jump three feet off, not that I can jump three feet off the floor, but we weren't designed to pound our bodies into submission and use every joint as if it were a shock absorber for hours and hours. We just, we weren't designed to do that. And the fact that I, I personally think like I have a stronger body, a better body. My shape has completely changed since I stopped beating myself into submission. And actually, I I like rest now, you know? Like in the past, if someone told me I had to rest, I would be like, well, I'll lose all my results. Where's my rest day muscle? Right. It doesn't exist. No days off. Remember that hashtag? Remember when that was all the rage on Instagram? Yeah, I'm sure it probably started that. So can you articulate what zone two cardio looks like? Well, zone two cardio is something that you can maintain for a longer duration. For me, my favorite form of zone two cardio is to walk outside, to get sunlight, to feel the air. You know, if you can do a walk in a place where you're actually experiencing some nature, right? Like sometimes you can't, you know, live in New York City, you can't do that. Well, you can find a spot where there's some grass, but for me, it's being by the water, um, wherever we are, or trying to find, when I was in Northern Michigan, it was like just being in the forest and walking, are you kidding me? This has to be good for my soul. This has to be far more healing than jumping up and down on a hardwood floor with pounding music, which is great too, but not every day. Zone two cardio is something that, where you're, you're burning calories at a sustained period, so you're dipping into your fat stores. It is less intense on your body, it's easier to recover, but it is something you're doing longer, right? So um, you can't, uh, zone two cardio for 15 minutes is on a day when you've only got 15 minutes. Hey, maybe do some in high intensity work, but I would recommend that you mix up that high intensity work and do something that's high intensity, but low impact, which you can do. Um, and, but it still has to be high intensity, right? But if you've got the time to be able to enjoy some zone two cardio, like maybe cycling, it's, it's something where you can maintain a conversation. You look forward to it. 
and you don't feel destroyed when you're done. Yeah. And you just mentioned also stacking things, right? Getting that outside, getting some fresh air, yep. sunlight, uh, a little bit of nature. And the thing is, depending on where you are, you can get some combinations of these things. But there's so much research and there's more coming with, quote, forest bathing, you know, walking oh, yeah. in nature. Yeah. And of course, like we know some of the obvious things is the benefits for our mental health, mood, all that. Yeah. But also improving your metabolic health as well. Yes. So like helping to improve insulin sensitivity. Yes. And, you know, your cognitive function, all these things by walking. It's because our genes expect us to be around real shit. That's but right. we're living our lives predominantly indoors and we've got these, you know, bustling cities and things like that. That's all good. But what if we can find a way to carve out a little bit of time in nature? And I think for most of us, there is some access to it. But sometimes it might be like a, a one time a week thing, mm. right? Maybe you hop in the sure. car and you guys, you know, your family goes for a hike somewhere, or goes yeah. to the park or whatever it is. But wherever you can place it in, it's stacking for well, you. Let's talk about stacking. I think one of the things that um, we took away from our European travels a couple years ago was seeing, especially in Italy, that they have this practice after they eat a meal, like sometimes like the whole community goes out on this, I forget the word for it, so hopefully someone will comment whatever it is, but they, you'd see these whole communities out doing walks in the evening after they had their meals. And that's something that I think we don't realize you can do, you can't do that if you're in, on, in a cycling class. I can't talk to my spouse or my best friend. But if I'm doing a walk outside, this practice of doing that every night after dinner for my husband and I had, has done amazing things for our relationship. It has allowed us to connect on a deeper level. It's helped us both to get more fit. You know, in the past, we would finish dinner and, you know, we're empty nesters. What are we going to do? I don't know. You want to have a cocktail? You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? You want to watch a show? Like no, nothing that made us better, more connected, that improved our health. And so this habit is, and I, I never set out to do it like every day, but it just feels so good, you know? And we, we love that time together. We've had conversations about things that there's just no way we would go there if we're sitting, even sitting across the table from each other. Uh, having dinner, we wouldn't have had these conversations. The deepest conversations I've had with my friends are doing these long walks. I love doing an interview that way. If I'm, I'm going to interview someone, like, let's go for a walk. Like, you know, it's just, there's something about that movement that allows people to go to a place that they wouldn't otherwise go. And that's pretty powerful. And that's important to our health too. Absolutely. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. I've got some very bad news for you about vitamin C supplements. Most people have no idea that typical vitamin C supplements are made from corn syrup or cornstarch derived from GMO crops. The synthetic ascorbic acid found in most vitamin C supplements is structurally similar to naturally derived whole food sources of vitamin C, but they are not the same thing. Whole food and whole food concentrates of vitamin C have hundreds of other bioactive cofactors that make vitamin C work miraculously in our bodies. While synthetic vitamin C is the very definition of a one-trick pony. In fact, by being devoid of essential cofactors, synthetic vitamin C supplements can be outright harmful to your health. For instance, a 2013 study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, found that participants taking synthetic vitamin C supplements had twice the risk of developing kidney stones. Another study from researchers at USC 
found that a daily dose of synthetic vitamin C thickened the walls of participants' arteries two and a half times faster than those not taking the synthetic supplement. This is absolutely insane because number one, it's one of the most popular standalone supplements in the world and commonly found in most multivitamins. Number two, whole food based, whole food concentrates of real vitamin C are remarkably effective in lowering the risk of cardiovascular disease, even in people engaged in high risk behaviors like smoking. A randomized placebo controlled study published in the Journal of Cardiology had 20 smokers consume a whole food concentrate of vitamin C in the form of camu camu berry daily over the course of a one week study. And it led to significantly lowered oxidative stress and lowered inflammatory biomarkers. What's more, there were no changes in these markers in the placebo group who received an ordinary synthetic vitamin C supplement. Because of the damage humans have done to the soil microbiome, levels of vitamin C are notably lower in typical foods. That's why I've been utilizing a whole food vitamin C concentrate blend of camu camu berry, acerola cherry, and amla berry for years. And I'm on a mission to spread awareness about this and get people off synthetic vitamin C supplements. The Essential C Complex from Paleo Valley is all organic, no synthetic ingredients, and no fillers. Plus, it has a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. So if you aren't absolutely thrilled with it, you'll receive a full refund, no questions asked. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash model right now, and you'll automatically receive 15% off of your order at checkout. Vitamin C is critical for our immune system health, but also the health of our heart, our brain, our skin, and so much more. Target organic, whole food sources of vitamin C, and if you're going to supplement, make sure it's a whole food concentrate and not synthetic vitamin C. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash model. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash model right now for 15% off. And now back to the show. Now, for people that don't know, you have one of the best shows ever, raving fans, your lifers. Yeah. Right? And you talk about a wide array of things, but the difference is with you is that it's like, it's so, not of course entertaining, yes, but also so insightful and valuable. And like, you stay on top of little bits of science for people just to kind of pull them in. Yeah. But then you look at things from a completely different lens than anybody else, which is what I love about about your show and about you. So one of those topics that's super crazy right now is this new wave of obesity targeted medications, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ozempic, yeah. Agovi, yeah. and the and the like, and you know, semaglutide, uh, GLP-1. Is it semaglutide or semaglutide? I hear people say it both ways, so now I always say it both yeah. ways. It's either, <laughs> Tomato, tomato. Right, right GLP-1 agonist. Agonist, yes. Yeah. And so this is, it's it's just spread very quickly. Yeah. And one of the things that you brought forward, which I hadn't even considered, was its use or this kind of apparent side effect of potentially addressing folks like with addiction issues, yeah. right? And it's just like, the ramifications are so much bigger than what we consider. But th- of course, that's like more of a, what might be considered maybe a quote, positive side effect. Yeah. But you know, even recently, there are a slew of lawsuits regarding its effects on stomach paralysis. Yes. Right, and so that's like, there's a lot of lawsuits hitting. But here's the thing, and this is why I wanna to talk to you about this. 
Um, one of the lawsuits that's getting a lot more of the attention is like featured on like Today Show and stuff mm-hmm. like that. The individual, she lost almost 150 pounds, which is like revolutionary for her health, but now she can't digest food. And so it's just like, where's the cost benefit analysis? Yeah. Like, is that, even though you got this really heinous side effect, but yeah. you also lost 150 pounds. So yeah. like, where do we find, you know, our, our sense of, is this okay for me? Right, right. You know? Yeah, it's tough because what we do know for a fact is that being morbidly obese, we know for a fact that you are putting yourself at a very high risk of every disease you can name that's preventable, right? We know that for a fact. And so, yes, I know that there's this strange debate. People really get heated over this. You know, like, you should do it the right way. Um, Diet and exercise, yeah, but that's great. Tell that to someone who's been trying to do it with diet and exercise all their lives. All their lives they've been carrying around this extra weight. So they have to look at, okay, so I've got these maybe risks that I'm looking at if I do one of these weight loss injections. And then I have these for sure risks if I stay the way I am. So I certainly don't fault people who are like, I've tried everything. I've tried, it's not working. Um, I, I don't fault them at saying like, I know I have risks if I stay the same. I've tried everything. I'm, I'm willing to take that risk. I just think that we need to do a much better job of helping people to understand what those risks are and also to understand we don't know all of those risks. These drugs have not been studied long enough. Yeah, we don't know. Not at all. We don't know. And and so I also think that there's a, um, a certain individual who's probably going to be have a higher propensity to um, try one of these weight loss injections. And, you know, now there's some new research on a class of this drug that is uh, an oral form. But I think it, it shouldn't surprise doctors that some of these individuals have perhaps done gastric sleeves who have had other problems from a digestive standpoint, right? And we're seeing a lot of those people just jumping on these um, injections without understanding how that could impact their uh, digestive tract. It's the slow emptying of your gastric system. It's not just making you feel full. You are full, you know? <laughs> you are full. Yeah. And so I, I encourage people to do your research. Consider, consider natural alternatives too. First, have you done that? And you know, let's talk about the placebo effect, right? We know the placebo effect of just about any drug is almost the equivalent effectiveness of the drug itself. That's, that's got to lead to some people considering like, how much of this can I do on my own, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, you know, the framing of the drug is that it, it is something that you're going to need to take for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And it's a automatically the first thing that pops up is dependency, sure. right? What happens with your metabolism without this thing? And we also got, have to understand where this is coming from. You know, this is coming from a system <laughs> that is pretty well known for, you know, shoot first, ask questions last. And Hide having, this data. Yeah, long tail ramifications for, again, what we're trying to do here is to address a, a big need, right? That's the first thing. And you're somebody big on this, like proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Like we've got a lot of people that are struggling with their weight. That's right. And they want a solution. Now, w- coupled with that is a very short 
bridge of question asking within that, especially when you're suffering and when your mindset isn't as such of like understanding some of these things, like why is my body responding this way? There's some of the things we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, and so now we're window dressing. Now we're just treating a symptom. Mm. You know, like why is your body responding and carrying this weight? If we're not removing that cause, this might not end well. Mm. And so I love that we have this as an option. And I, I'm a huge fan of this in some instances, but Same. again, when we start to make this this kind of pharmaceutical model, especially with the fact we don't know shit about long-term effects, we mm -hmm. don't. No. And we're we're just seeing these different things pop up with quote side effects, but they're not side effects. These are just other effects, yeah. right? These are just things that happen depending on different people, depending on you. And another one of them being a pancreatitis and people having severe inflammation with their pancreas. Right. And this for me is just like with any of these things, this is a system-wide effect, right? So it isn't just targeting your gut. This is a brain-gut thing yeah, as well. Right, right, which is why we think that we're they're seeing benefits um, or how it's dampening down the dopamine, yeah. and especially in rat studies. That and part. obviously, um, anecdotally, a lot of people reporting, like not understanding why, but like, huh, I'm taking this weight loss injection and I don't want to drink at night anymore. Like that sure seems like a positive. I'm finding that I'm no longer falling asleep with uh, online shopping. Like it's dampening down our dopamine. But to me, that also says, what is that doing? Because we're also hearing about depression, right? Yeah. What is that doing to someone who already has a, a problem with dopamine regulation, like myself with ADHD? What is that doing? Like I don't want to dampen down my dopamine, that's for sure. So I do think there's a lot there's a lot to look at. My biggest concern is what it's going to do because celebrities are taking it. And I and I don't mean celebrities who have been overweight for years and years. Rosie O'Donnell's been very vocal about her relationship with this weight loss drug. She says I'm going to take it for the rest of my life. This has changed my life. It's saved my life. Um, she talks about how even having a heart attack wasn't enough to change her ways you know with like but this drug has done that for her my my problem is with the celebrities who are already um thin by society standards and they're taking this to become uber thin like underweight and uh and and taking a weight loss medication that's been approved for that by the fda because i hear people go up in arms and they're like well, you shouldn't be taking that if you're not a type 2 diabetic well there are classes of this drug that have been approved just for even you know a small amount of weight loss. I have two friends, okay? I have one girlfriend who just kept getting, she's already pretty fit. And all of a sudden I see her and I'm like, what are you doing? You're shrinking every time I see you. And she's like, oh, I'm I'm doing that Zempi. I'm like, are you really? And she's like, yeah, just for a little while. Like I just, I'm like, okay. Like, do you know all of the side effects, etc." cetera? Um, then I have another girlfriend who was very overweight, uh, drinks on a regular basis, uh, smokes, has a lot of bad habits, um, about 10 years older than me. And uh, doctor said, hey, you know, you might wanna consider doing one of these weight loss injections. And she said, Shalene, what do you think? You know, I, I know you've done your research. And Sean, I'm gonna be honest. I said, I think you should do it. Because I'm looking at all the other known risk factors that she's facing. And I thought if if she if this could help her to stop drinking, to to 
to eat healthier foods because that's another really interesting thing that we're hearing people report is that they no longer are craving the highly processed, highly, you know, saturated fat foods, foods that like we know aren't good for it. Like it, it makes them feel sick unless they're eating something more, less processed and healthier. Why do you think that is? I mean, that's something we, I guess maybe from the digestive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we've got so much, and I just talked about this recently, is, um, you know, we have a society that craves, we have more things to crave mm -hmm. than ever before, and our cravings are stronger because these pathways have been manipulated by scientists, you know, food yeah. scientists. And at the same time, now we have this other group of scientists who are creating a solution for that, yeah. another chemistry experiment. And so we get into this kind of vicious circle and everybody's profiting from our collective demise, you know? And, yeah. you know, again, at the end of the day, all of these things should be based on the individual. Right. And even when you mentioned, I just scrolled and pulled this up um, from, my, from my last book and GLP-1. And I talked a lot about, this was years ago when I wrote this. You're right? always ahead of the curve. And in this, in this study, this was published in the journal Gut, and there's a compound called propionate that's found in prebiotic fiber, fiber inulin, and it was shown to significantly increase the release of GLP-1 and other satiety hormones as well. It's not just a blunt instrument for this one thing. And where can you find this? Asparagus, artichokes, leeks, garlic, the list goes on and on. But the point being is that prebiotic fibers really help with this production. But in particular, there were several studies noting how GLP-1 is activated with chlorophyll-rich foods, right? And so, but again, if we don't know this, right. you know, but we know, cause this is really in our face now, Yeah, you know? Well, there's so many sup natural supplements that increase our, our secretion of GLP-1. I mean, there are natural supplements. Will they increase it to the degree right, that um, uh, an injection? Well, probably not, but have you tried them? Have you tried to, and do you believe that those supplements mm -hmm. are going to work? Because if you believe they're going to work head to head, we know that from placebo studies, it's probably gonna be just as effective without all of the negative side effects. So if it's something you're considering, why not? Like what's the harm? And I, I know the answer to this. What's the harm in trying a natural approach to increase something that our body should be doing for us naturally, right? To to find a natural approach and, and to uh, tackle this from a lifestyle perspective, which is permanent, right? Without the side effects, only positive side effects. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you know what that is, Sean? That's work. It's work. And people will say, I've tried that before. But have you stacked all of those things? Was your mind, did you believe then that it was gonna work? So I just, again, I mean, everyone's different, um, but I just, I'm always nervous when pharmaceutical companies have, I mean, it's, it's on the news every single day. Something's going on. Every social media site is covered, like every celebrity's talking about it. What is going on? Like, why seen, is everybody talking about have this? Have you seen Painkillers yes. on Netflix? So this is, again, this kind of pharmaceutical right. dictation with what happened with the opioid crisis. By the way, and that, that even for some people, just be like, well, that was that back then. That was just the beginning right. of the opioid. Many different opioids have come, in particular fentanyl, synthetic opioid. And these pharmaceutical companies have made billions and billions and billions of dollars, even with, and by the way, these are some pharmaceutical companies that are not just, not just here, but they're doing well. Yeah. You know, oh, even yeah. Johnson & Johnson had a big role to play. They just paid out part of a $2 billion settlement 
for their contribution to the opioid epidemic, right? And so again, we've got to understand where this stuff is coming from and have a little bit more skepticism. And again, also be open to the fact that this could be helpful for some people right. in the right circumstances. That's By right. the way, when you said side effects, mm -hmm. last thing I want to share with this really quickly, and I messaged you with this when after I listened to your episode, yeah. the black box warning on Ozempic from the FDA states that in rodents, in rodents, Ozempic, quote, causes dose-dependent and treatment duration-dependent thyroid tumors, all right? Again, in rodents, mm -hmm. two things here, dose-dependent, how much you're taking, mm -hmm. treatment duration-dependent. The longer you take it, mm -hmm. the longer you're on it, the more likely with thyroid tumors. But they also note that in humans, it's unsure. Unsure makes me unsure. Absolutely. You know, and I remember when, you know, you and I were going back and forth on that and I was kind of playing devil's advocate. I'm like, yeah, that's an unsure. But what we do know for sure is if you are morbidly obese and you've been carrying that weight around forever, we do know for sure the risks that are associated with your mortality. You know, so it's it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. Here's the other thing that we do know for sure is that you can do this yourself. You can. You absolutely can. Right? The, the one thing, Sean, that drives me crazy that, n you know, no one has been able to answer for me is so people are losing all this weight because they're eating less, right? Right? I mean, is that the answer? I mean, obviously, it's it's more profound than that. Um, but what's happening is now their blood glucose levels are regulating. And that happens when we eat less. And when we eat less, then that insulin sensitivity that is the problem, especially for people who are pre-diabetic and diabetic, suddenly as we're eating less, that's less of a problem. And now we're no longer drug dependent on uh, the diabetic medication. But the part that doesn't, I can't make sense of is we're eating less, we're eating fewer calories. But these same individuals were the ones who were saying, I, I've tried eating less before. So, what else is going on? Is it that people were uh, not reporting accurately? Is it that we're underestimating how much we're really eating? Or is the fact of the matter that uh, it is a calorie issue? Yeah. And most importantly, struggling to eat less because ah. we're not doing the thing that creates the satiety. That's right. That's right? right? Yeah. And so that's really what this is like, again, a hammering a certain thing mm -hmm. versus like, what are some things I can do for myself? Like even said earlier, how de-stressing it can be to go for a walk yeah. with your husband, for yeah. example. And again, this is not to say that that's the ultimate weight loss cure. Right, but stack But it. when you stack these things, yeah. you start to experience less cravings, especially cravings for things that tend to put more weight on your body and make it more difficult to lose it. Absolutely. You know, but you, that requires change, as you as you mentioned. It does, and it, it you know it uh, again, like the the addiction part of this has to be looked at because I think for a lot of people, food is an addiction. Food is a way to dissociate. Food is something that we can use to feel better, right? And so if we remove that piece or if this drug is working on that area of the brain, again, then then that would have me excited. We, But what has me nervous, just like you, are the things that we don't know. Yeah. Well, something I do know is that you're one of the people that, again, we've looked to who's created a culture of family connection, Yeah, you know? And it's so, that aspect of our health, and we're gonna talk more about this when, when I do your show, but that aspect of our health 
might be, according to the data, the most powerful influence on our health mm. is our relationships. Wow. And so as part of the 2023 Family Health and Fitness Summit, we're gonna to get to actually hear from you talking specifically about how you've created a culture of health and fitness in your family, yeah. in your household. And I wanna ask you just a little bit about this yeah. now, because again, in a society that is really kind of inundating us with things that are health detracting, how have you What was navigated? that phrase you just used? Hel inundating detracting. us? Health detracting, oh, yes. Detract okay, health okay. detracting. Okay. Um, you know, especially from the standpoint of, we'll just talk specifically about fitness, Yeah. right? So how have you found ways to like bake that into your family culture? It was something that we role modeled and it was something that we ha had a great time with our kids, making it, it something they did together. I know you work out at home with your kids. Um, I never told them, okay, you've got to work out with us. They just watch, you know, and they want to participate. It was us never talking about body. We never talked about weight and we never talked about body, theirs or ours in front of them. Um, it was celebrating like whatever they wanted to do that was physical. It was without making it like about the thing, right? Like I wouldn't say, I don't want you being inactive and sitting on your uh, beds playing your video games. I never said that, but I would instead say like, all right, I, I've got something fun we could do. Let's go down and film. Like, I, you, know, you gotta like pay attention to what they were into. And they were in, into their phones, right? They're into technology. So I, my kids, I encouraged them to start a YouTube channel. This is like when they were, you know, like, I don't know, probably nine and 12. Um, you know, Dude Perfect? Like the yeah, guys that throw course, the basketball. Yeah. So Brock and Sierra would do that for hours and hours. <laughs> and Sierra would chase after the ball and go shag the ball for Brock and Brock would throw the ball. And they would do that for hours. And little did they realize, like, I, I might as well have said, go outside and exercise, but I didn't have to. So it's like finding creative ways that don't sound like punishment, like don't sound like something you have to do, um, where they're just being active. They don't have to exercise. They need to be active because our kids are not active. Already you blew my mind because it seems so obvious, but it's not. Like, yeah. I remember my son Braden, like, getting off his iPad and doing like these trick shots on the staircase. He had to keep going up and down trying to, he did it probably, I'm not, I mean, it might've been like a hundred times, you yeah, know, going up and down the stairs <laughs> and trying to get I, whatever it was, maybe it was like some fuzzy, you know, stuffed ball into uh -huh. a, a very small box yep. that was at the bottom of the staircase, right? And he was recording himself doing it. It's just like, pay attention to what they're into, what motivates them yes, and also, but the thing is, we just want our kids to do what we want them to do yeah. a lot of times. And yeah, yeah. We've got to catch ourselves doing that. And also because we know what de excites them. Yeah. Right. And force and try to get them to force to do it, which you can for a time period, but people rebel. We all do. And so that's so brilliant. It's so smart. Like finding a way for them to access what they're into, but it, movement is, is involved. Yeah. And I'm a big, big fan of any sport they want to play like don't push them into your sport just because yeah, you know part. you have dreams of being a whatever <laughs> and you're trying to fulfill that through your kid's life but like let them freaking do everything like as long as they're moving and being on a team that's so good for them and then then they look forward to it then you don't have to say you need to go do fill in the blank they feel a sense of responsibility to their teammates because those become their friends yeah. and you know some sports are more active than others but let them let them quit 
and try another one. Like just let them experiment with what movement feels good to them. And try and it's hard today because everything's so specialized. Like you're not allowed to play multiple sports. Like if you're gonna play basketball, then you can only play basketball. And you need a basketball coach and you gotta do a traveling basketball team and you know, we turn them into little professionals, which is ridiculous. But at the end of the day, um, you can't just tell your kids to go move or like get off your phone and go move. Like you have to give them. They want cr- structure. They crave structure. They crave community. They crave connection. They crave your attention. You know, so pay attention. Show up at their practices if you can and and get involved and listen to what they want to do. Mm, you're speaking the truth. <laughs> ah. So much more of this is in store for everybody. And this is, you get free access, by the way, to the 2023 Family Health and Fitness Summit when you pre-order the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. Go to your favorite retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, but go to eatsmartercookbook.com and you get all the bonuses there, which more from Shalene and all of our other experts. And we're really creating a movement to get our families healthier, Mm. you know, because again, that feeds into itself. When our family is healthier, it comes back to us yeah. abundantly. But also we're living right now at a time where family health is is complicated. Yeah, it is. And so to be able to stack conditions in our favor, and also we're doing a 25K fitness giveaway as well. So we're giving away a bunch of fitness equipment and food, groceries, all that good stuff. So eatsmartercookbook.com. And also again, for you, make sure to Subscribe like literally right now to The Shalene Show and just be immersed in that incredible universe and all the wonderful stuff that you talk about. Your husband, Brett, is so brilliant. We've had him on, on the show. He's been sitting is right there before said? you. He said he was so brilliant. That's coming from me. He is. Uh, Humble brag. He's awesome. Um, but, you know, Brett as well, your your kids are amazing. Thank You're just you so sharing, much. you know, your your daughter's about to launch her product line yeah. here soon. It's just like it's, it's so kind of crazy, crazy it's trippy. They're married. They're both married and like they're adults. It's weird and it's so fun. And so I just want to end on saying like, don't be afraid of this next season of your life. There's so many fun, cool things that you're going to be able to do. Awesome. And where else can people follow you? Social media? Um, you know, Shalene Johnson everywhere. So on YouTube, it's YouTube forward slash Shalene Johnson. Uh, on the Instagrams, I'm Shalene Johnson. So awesome. I, I, that's my name everywhere you go. Boom. Well, again, you're one of my favorite people. Thank, thank you, you for so coming much, to hang Sean. out. I love you. Love you too. Shalene Johnson, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. This is one to share out with friends and family. Send this directly from the podcast app that you are listening on to somebody that you care about. And of course, you could share this on social media. Take a screenshot of this episode. Shalene would be blown away to see it. Tag her. She's at Shalene Johnson, and I'm at Sean Model, S-H-A-W-N-M-O-D-E-L, on Instagram, and share the love. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. We've got some epic masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon, so make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.